Well, good IT. How are we? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's uh, episode 14. I know. Is that that's, craziness? I know. That is craziness, isn't it? That's that's months and months we've been doing this now. It is. And, you know, those last three episodes that we um, we dropped in in one weekend, we certainly had a lot of traffic through with people listening to that and engaging the conversation, didn't we? Yeah, definitely. Downloads um, in the hundreds for each episode, which is pretty cool. It was very, very cool. And our audience is certainly growing. We've, um, you know, got people, uh, lots and lots of listeners in Australia and also the States and lots of other spatterings across Europe. And I always love to look at those countries where we've got one or two listeners like Poland and Latvia and Lithuania. Yes. I feel Latvia. Like I, Latvia. Mm. I, I just feel it, it's almost like votes in Eurovision. Latvia usually get less votes. Yeah, right, but they do uh, fucking amazing liverwurst <laughs> in Latvia. Everyone loves it. When, when I was in high school, man, I used to work in the deli at Coles, and Latvian liverwurst was one of the things we sold. Um, but, yeah, it's growing, and it's it's amazing, and I, I'm I'm really thrilled. The, the other thing I think I wanted to point out was that the Facebook group is coming alive, and we've got some personalities turning up in there and, you know, people having their say. And I, I think it would be good to make a point that, you know, just because we do or don't respond doesn't mean we are for or against what's being said. Yeah, I, I mean, we definitely want to maintain that environment of, of healing and going forward rather than, um, you know, we, we don't want to be bagging people out uh, too much. I mean, there's there's obviously the naming of a few characters uh, that we've come across in our time, but we certainly don't want to be looking back and throwing stones at everyone for sure. Yeah, exactly right. Well, mate, why don't you tell us what we're talking about today? Episode 14, we are going to talk about the prosperity doctrine, often referred to as the hyperfaith movement and many, many other names, which some of them aren't as complimentary. Um, it, it's an interesting space and, and it's something that both T and I have certainly come across, been involved in, um, been observers, but also been in the middle of it. And bloody hell, it's a weird space. It is an incredibly weird space. We've got, we got, we got quite a few little stories to tell, haven't we, T? Yeah, exactly right. I think I think it's important to note that we are not going to necessarily theologically deconstruct this because, you know, you and I both think, hey, to each his own, if you want to believe that, you can believe that. But we'll tell our stories and say, this is this is how it messed us up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I'm, I'm happy to kick off on this one. I mean, this I came across um, this doctrine quite early in my faith journey and it was in an early church that I was involved in and they had this guy come out who was quite he was quite a big big name um John Avanzini he um I can't remember can you remember the names of some of his books it was like unanswered no. prayer um 30 60 hundred fold things like things like that it was it, everything was about claiming and prosperity yeah, and, and I think in the early 90s to mid-90s, maybe even, maybe not quite in the mid-90s, but the early 90s, he was definitely a big name. You know, he was up there with Copeland and, and you know, Kenneth Copeland and these others. I, I don't know if he's still around or if he's still doing mm. stuff, but definitely back then he was a big name, wasn't he? He was, and it, I, he is around. I can confirm that because I Googled him the other day when I was just um, preparing for this this uh, podcast and and thinking, I wonder what he's doing. And he's still around. So I don't know how often he speaks. He's quite old now. I, I don't know his age, but he'd be certainly getting on in years. So, But he came to this church and 
it was quite surprising. The church wasn't a big one. It was maybe 150, 200 people. Fairly, um, it had grown very fast. They had this guy come along and he was dripping in gold. Like he was your typical televangelist. And I remember that we were um, we were told to prepare for miracles. We were prepared uh, to prepare for big things that were going to happen. Um, those that had debts come along because there's a good chance those debts will be gone after you come to these meetings. Now, this um, one meeting, I remember, he, he he preached for like three or four nights in a row and he had full um, church every night. And this one night, my my parents had only become Christians probably, uh, I don't know, maybe six months before. And they had come into the space uh, very open and they were told to bring, along with the rest of the church, bring your mortgages along. Bring your car loans along. Bring your loans, your higher purchase, whatever it is. Put it into a manila folder. Give it to John Evanzini with a generous gift, and he'll pray over it. And no need to pay any more of those payments for those loans because they'll be gone. So no worries. Just take care of it and uh, move on. And I so, remember, so, so you're saying with a generous gift. I know you sort of went over that really quickly. So people had to put money into these requests or whatever you want to call them look it wasn't mandatory but it was strongly encouraged and i remember um the offerings that were taken up for those i was watching people put fistful of notes in the offering which was all going to john Avanzini. so it was uh very very clear that uh people really should give because if you're not going to be generous how can you expect to be given back 30 60 100 fold was it pressed down shaken together flowing over they were the sort of scriptures that were just being banded banded around and being um told that that's fact you give you'll get 30 60 100 fold back so so what did he do like he, he would stand up and start preaching or like how did it all work yeah, he did, and it was it was seriously what like watching a televangelist, which was quite entertaining, um, because he was a televangelist, but it was a live show, so he would get up, but everything was about, um, you know, Jesus died so you could be rich, Jesus died so you could be wealthy, you could live, and those who believed in Jesus, the fact was, you could be rich. Like he rarely talked about grace about love i i can't recall any specific details around that but the whole thing for me was shrouded in the fact that it was around becoming prosperous becoming materially materially wealthy uh it was nothing to do with your character with love with grace yeah well that's what they call it the prosperity doctrine or the prosperity gospel don't they because it's it's not a gospel of salvation except from salvation from poverty maybe yeah, that's right. And look, I, I really, um, uh, I, I struggled with it, um, but I tried to get on board because, you know, I was relatively new in the faith, as I said, and I was told that this is what you did. I fortunately didn't have any loans or anything at that time, but I know I saw people bring their mortgages along. I saw people bring their loan documents along and pass them out the front for John Abanzini to pray over. He would just pray over this whole pile. He would claim it for Jesus say it's gone, don't worry about your payments next week, just move on. So what happened practically, I have no idea. Like, did people then just not pay their mortgages and the bank was chasing them? Um, 
did they did it impact them that they thought they just didn't believe enough because you were told that you had to you had to believe enough you had to have enough faith whatever that meant god only knows what that meant but you had to have enough faith but you you would have had a car loan then wouldn't you you were you were working you were working as a tradesman yeah did did no. you did you no. stop paying your <laughs> no i didn't have a car loan actually i um I got a car loan after that when I went to Great Big AOG and my car wasn't good enough. Um, so I felt the pressure to uh, get a new car when I was there. But I didn't I didn't have a loan, but I certainly got into the whole, um, if I believe more, then I'll be wealthier. Yeah, did you give money? Oh, yeah, I gave a lot of money. Um, you know, the, the whole tithing of 10% of your, your earnings went well beyond that. Uh, I, I can't remember what I gave, but I remember giving well above what I could afford and certainly left myself short. And I remember thinking, maybe I just, maybe my faith wasn't good enough because oh, of course, I, yeah. I didn't get any um, any prosperity back from that, any, any wealth back from that. All I got was uh, a gift for John Evanzini. I think he had a book or a tape series or something, and I'm pretty sure I, I didn't Google this beforehand, but I think it was called It's Not Working, Brother, or It's Not Working, Brother John, or something like that. He had a book that was basically uh -huh. saying, because people were coming to him, you know, afterwards and going, ah, it's not working. And, yep. yeah, I'm pretty sure he put out a book called that or, or something like that. But you've talked to me about this church in particular, and as a matter of fact, you've talked to us, right, that are, that are listening to you, and and you said this was the, the church that was kind of more – accepting and loving and you know you left there to go to great big aog that was the independent one so how yep. did all this fit with that it didn't that was a really weird thing um like they were always very pentecostal there was no doubt about that but there was definitely an acceptance and a love and um a real grace shown within that space so it did seem to be out of sync with where they were going um but it was it was quite a journey that they actually kept going along. So they had a, a building fund. Um, they had moved out of a rented premises. They had bought this large property in a relatively um, affluent part of the city uh, in the suburbs, and it was had a warehouse on it, an old warehouse. So typical Pentecostal church turned that warehouse into a um, into a church. To do that, it obviously took money. So I can't remember how much the, the aim was for the, the building fund, but they called upon members to make a commitment and make a commitment over a time period of, I think it was a couple of years, where you would say, okay, I'll give $5,000, I'll pay it down almost like a loan um, and just give that to the church. They were really clear that if you did that, you committed to it, it was your next step in your faith. It was much... Um, much more than your normal tithing so you would get more back um mm. over and above over and, over above, and above the tithing. yeah so it, it, it definitely wasn't um it wasn't about giving for the sake of giving because you wanted to make the world a better place or do something different or to contribute to community it was very much peppered with look give it's going to help us out but you're going to get bucket loads more back and you are going to be prosperous I remember I was only about 19 at this time and I remember being quite pressured to commit to this and I thought I, I can't commit to this I'm you know I'm, I'm living week to week as it is so what I don't think the the church was getting enough people committing so they started to make home visits 
So they would send their ministry teams around who were for the, um, you know, connected to the building fund, and they would come around and ask you to commit to it. But the pressure from that was phenomenal. I remember um, being told at that time, someone came around and they said, we need you to determine how much you're going to give. I said, I, I can't determine that. I, I don't know. And they said, go away and pray. I thought I'd be given a couple of days. I was given five minutes. So I was told to go to another room, go and pray, seek guidance and come back with a number. I didn't know how that worked. I went away. I prayed. I came back and I said, I've got no idea. And so they started throwing numbers at me. 5,000? No, I, said, I can't afford 5,000. 3,000? No. So it fell on a, a couple of thousand in the end that I ended up committing. And you essentially had a ledger that you would contribute and they would knock that amount off your ledger. My parents also got pressured into giving as well. So they they had, um, I, I don't know how much they they got committed to them, but I can tell you within 12 months, they had paid that building off. So they had obviously got significant contributions from people. Yeah, I I could imagine some of the language, you know, that would have been used. And if not, if not used, it certainly was in other churches. And it's things like a faith pledge, um, a, you know, planting a seed, all that mm. kind of stuff. I, I think it's really interesting listening to you that it's not about missions. It's not about saving souls. It's yeah. not about, um, like you said, it's not about, you know, working with kids on the street or the poor or anything like that. It's just give so you will get. Absolutely. And building a property portfolio. Um, you know, I, I mean, this this property was beautiful. There's no doubt. The pastor lived on the, the premises as well. So this paid for the refurbishment of his house as well because it was all part of the one property. So did this happen after John Avanzini or before? Um, after from memory. So okay. it, was a, it was a flow on from it. So I'm sure that it was a challenge set <laughs> um, by the leadership. It was like, all right, let's, if we've committed to this, um, this prosperity doctrine, then let's try and make it work. And there's enough you can do with a bit of marketing and pressure. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. You know, I, I first came across the faith movement stuff after the Revival Centre, because um, the Revival Centre doesn't like anyone that's not Revival Centre, right? So we weren't really um, exposed, except you'd hear words like, you know, names like Smith Wigglesworth and this kind of stuff, who, you know, fairness, fairness to good old Smith, he probably wasn't a uh, prosperity preacher, but he's certainly a word of faith preacher. Um, yeah. But I, I remember the, the same people that were sort of helping me out gave me some Kenneth Hagen books. Mm-hmm. That was that was the guy who who I was first introduced to was Kenneth Hagen and Daddy it was Hagen, Daddy Hagen, yeah, Granddaddy Hagen, and um, also I remember another friend of mine used to call him Doctor Hagen. Used to talk about Doctor Hagen says as if you know somehow this guy was some sort of academic, um, but obviously he wasn't. He probably got his PhD from his own Bible college, mm-hmm. or maybe even from the bottom of the Lucky Charms box. Mm-hmm. Um, but he his stuff was mixed in with that taking authority, um, demons, all that. So it was definitely a big, big chunk of the the faith and prosperity, but it was also mixed in with healing, mixed in with taking authority over the devil and casting out demons. So so I was reading all this stuff um, prior to, you know, my whole deliverance and all that. That was definitely fed by Kenneth Hagin because Kenneth Hagin used to talk about the little monkey demons on his shoulders and Jesus used to talk to him all the time. He'd write in his books, you know, the Lord, the Lord appeared to me and said this and said that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's where I started. I started with the whole sort of Kenneth Hagen thing. And 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 then when I got involved with Great Big AOG, 
um, it was definitely permeated everywhere. Okay. But Great Big AOG, I don't know if you remember, they never really stood up and said, you know, watch Kenneth Copeland or read Kenneth Hagen books or anything yeah. like that. It was it was there, but they didn't ever really put their rubber stamp on it. No, I agree. But there was definitely pockets of people who promoted it more strongly than the others within Great Big AOG. Um, but it was, I agree, it was never said from the pulpit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I dated this girl later on who had a massive crush on, um, and she um, was right into it, and her family were right into it. I mean, like, on a whole nother level, brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just out there um, with this whole faith stuff, and and I was right into her. So that sort of yeah. led me back into it. And okay. even to the point where I was at Bible college at that stage, and Kenneth Copeland came to Australia and did a series of um, crusades or whatever he called them. And I, you know, I skipped Bible college for the whole week. People were claiming to be healed and, you know, and all that. And, and it was all about being wealthy. Um, But it was also very much from a Kenneth Copeland's perspective, it was also very much about being healed and also about signs and wonders as well. And taking victory. Oh, yes, well, Believer's, Believer's Voice of Victory was the name of his TV show, which I used to record every morning on Channel 9 on VHS and then wake up later and, and watch it back. Him and Gloria, praise God, I tell you, <laughs> him and Gloria, they used to move my heart, brother, I tell you. <laughs> and I, for those on our Facebook page, you would have seen that T posted the uh, Kenneth Copeland video this week where Kenneth Copeland was claiming victory over COVID-19. And it's a rather passionate, passionate uh, victory speech, isn't it? Why don't, why don't we have a listen to it right now and we'll just play a little snippet of that. And then people can also visit on the Facebook and see the whole thing. But let's um, have a listen to that. Standing in the office of the prophet of God, I execute judgment on you, COVID-19. I execute judgment on you, Satan, you destroyer, you killer, you get out, you break your power, you get off this nation. I demand judgment on you. I demand, I demand, I demand a vaccination to come immediately. Yes. That, uh, That certainly is confronting. Yes. Um, did you notice he takes authority, right? We, we, he, I take authority, you COVID, I tell you. I love it. I, I, could I tell you, I, I, as much as it's confronting, as much as it's offensive, I love it. It's just, it's like going to Disneyland for church. It's brilliant. It is. And I do love the little echo voice at the back, uh, the guy who's standing to his side, who every now and then gives him a little bit of affirmation. Yes, yes. And do you remember there was also, not that we're going to get into this, but there was also that one where he and Rodney Howard Brown were talking to each other in tongues um yeah that that was another good one actually why don't i play that as well because that's a bit of fun too i think that now that clip wasn't that part of the whole pensacola um, Brownsville or whatever movement. Yeah, yeah, Toronto Blessing and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're fun, aren't they? They're a lot of fun. Ah, oh, a lot of fun. Disturbing, though, disturbing. I remember that one was bizarre. And by then, I uh, I had definitely started to question a lot more than I already 
had and for me that was a bit of a tipping point that one i just went what the actual fuck yeah yeah i I was way out of the whole faith movement thing by the time that came along and yeah that was just you know looney tunes i can remember when i was right into it there was a um like a multiple sclerosis uh charity was um selling tickets for a (laughs) for a a car yeah um in a shopping center and so the car was there um and so i went along um laid hands on the car and claimed it in Jesus' name, didn't buy a ticket, <laughs> right? Didn't buy a ticket. Because, see, it's about faith, right? Not about tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I laid hands on this Merc, on this Mercedes, um, spoke out in Jesus' name, took authority, claimed it, yada, yada. Um, no, nah, I didn't win it. I'm surprised. Yeah, well, I, I didn't realise that you had to be in it to win it, I guess. I, I, I mean, let's be honest, it comes down to your lack of faith. That's... Well, there's that and the fact that the emperor has no clothes. I mean, even to look back now and sort of, you know, even to tell that story is just, oh, gosh, I just I feel like a fool. But but that's how real it was. I, I was really thinking I'm going to get this car. Oh, absolutely. The whole blab it and grab it, um, they used to call it. I, I saw many people do that. I claimed things. There was no doubt I claimed things. There was, uh, it, it's what I did um, a couple of times, but when it didn't work, yeah, sure, I looked at myself, got a bit introspective and went, maybe it's your lack of faith. I think all in all, it just went, I don't think that's what it's all about. It's a little bit weird, but what, I tell you what, um, this person is related to me uh, who used to go and lay hands on everything and you would be in the car with them and they would be claiming cars that drove past and they would break out in tongues and they would be claiming stuff. You would be walking past things. They'd be laying hands on it and claiming it. They once rented a house and uh, I remember them claiming that house for them and that it would be theirs mortgage free. The person would give it to them. Hot tip, it didn't happen. Um, (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Yeah, stay stay tuned, people. Gets gets better. Um, but they were a single parent. What really wanted, you know, they weren't doing that well financially. Really wanted to take their kids on a holiday. And and to be honest, I need to backtrack. The reason they weren't doing well financially, they had sold a house and given every single cent away. Um, this was back in the early nineties, and it was close on a hundred grand. And $100,000 back then could buy your house outright. They had given it away along with all the things that they had bought with that payout um, because they believed that they would get it back a 30, 60, 100 fold. So they gave it to a faith preacher directly or how did that work? Gave it to people as well. Gave it to people they knew that were struggling. Um, They definitely gave a lot to the church they were involved in. Um, And it all went so they were in a place where i'm thinking oh god i'd really love to take my kids on a holiday what will we do we'll we'll believe for it how will we do it we'll drive out to the nearest airport with the kids put the car in the long-term car park and just sit there and wait in the terminal and pray until someone comes up and gives you airline tickets and accommodation for you to go on a holiday spoiler alert how did that work out Let's just say they didn't have a holiday um, Mm -hmm. except for about 14 hours at the airport. And they, um, the poor kids, completely distressed. The parent was obviously caught up in this thing that 
had told them that if they believed hard enough, they'd been working on their faith, exercising it pretty hard, but it didn't come in. It was not shaking their faith at all, though. This is the disturbing thing. Um, after that, it, they looked at this themselves and looked at the failure of the fact that they didn't get what they wanted and what they'd been praying for and believing for because they had a lack of faith. Yeah, yeah, that that's the thing. I mean, when you were telling that story, I was, you know, having a giggle until you said, and they were a single parent and struggling, and then it was like, okay, now it's sad, now it's tragic. Yeah, it, it really was. And, uh, you know, this was, this was someone I knew really well, um, and it was really difficult to watch. And, you know, this... This same person, you know, they, they got remarried and everything was about better believing, having a better faith, um, working really hard at it. And when they used to have scriptures all over the house, they used to have a list of scriptures on the, the fridge that they would repeat over and over and over. And they were all about prosperity. They were all about victory. They were all about claiming and, uh, you know, the blood of Jesus over everything or whatever. There was lots and lots of that, and the, this new um, partner of this person, I don't think was that was them, but it soon became them because there was a real pressure to conform to that. So they quite often would be dragged to the fridge to read out those scriptures. If they would uh, exhibit any negativity, they had to be they had to repeat those scriptures because if you repeat them over and over. You'll, you'll get better at it. You'll have a better, stronger faith. Yeah, well, it really is the whole emperor, you know, the emperor has no clothes, right? And the, the whole thing about that um, that parable or that story was that you can see it's not working, but you dare not admit it lest it, you know, comes back on you because of peer pressure that there's something wrong with you, that you are somehow in deficit. And, and that's what it came down to, wasn't it? It was like the reason why it's not working is because you don't have enough faith, not because this is bullshit, not because the emperor has no clothes. That's right. And, you know, it, it, it does. And, and here's an environment that's meant to be supporting, loving, building people up, accepting them in grace and love. And all it does is really tear them down because it tells them they've got not good enough. If they don't win or get victory or become wealthier, then it's about them. It's about their failure, not about the fact that 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 church or that body of people hasn't looked after a single parent, hasn't helped them out, hasn't guided them, hasn't said to them, "Hey, probably should stop giving away all your money and actually look after yourself." In the fact that you've uh, you've got the ability to look after yourself, don't make yourself on the bones of your ass by giving everything away, and that's what happened. They ended up on the bones of their ass. Mm, sure. I, I can remember when I was at Bible college, you know, and, and realizing that this thing doesn't work. I was introduced to a book called Christianity in Crisis by mm. a guy named Hank Hanegraaff. And it was written by conservative evangelicals, right? I mean, and and they, and they were, you know, they've, they've got their own issues. But, but nevertheless, at the time, I was a, you know, Bible-believing Christian brother. And so, it it confronted me with this is why this is not biblical and this is why this is not spiritual. And then there was another book um, by which, which preceded this, but I didn't read it in this order. Um, yeah. And it was called a, a Different Gospel by this guy named D.R. McConnell. And he mm. did this PhD paper. I think it was like at Oral Roberts University, which is you know a hyper Pentecostal place. Um, mm. And he basically showed how Kenneth Hagen had ripped off large amounts of 
another author named E.W. Kenyon, who was mm-hmm. a sort of a positivity faith preacher, but he was a Baptist. And yeah. um, so he ripped off portions of this and said that the Lord had revealed this to him or that angels had spoken to him or Jesus had said this, this stuff to him. And then it was word for word, line for line out of E.W. Kenyon's books. Wow. So a lot of this faith stuff, if you know, you trace it back to to uh, E.W. Kenyon, um, you know, it, it just ca- and, and he was influenced by um, Christian science and, you know, positive thinking and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And so that's where it sort of came from. And so when I read that as a Bible-believing Christian, I went, oh, okay, this is shit. So I was still in Great Big AOG when that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, true to T form, um, started telling people, mm. did you know that this is shit and here's why? Um, and, of course, I started to lose friends. I started to be isolated by those pockets in the church, you know, because they don't want to know. You know, no. you're you're being anti-faith, brother. You know, it's bad enough you go to Bible college and lose your lose your faith, let alone, you know, uh, reading these books. But yeah, I, I lost friends. You know why? Because you are forever the evangelist. Well, that's so. Right. This is true, um, and that's one thing I love about T is when T has a deep conviction on something. He wants you to hear why. He starts he, a podcast. <laughs> he starts a podcast and he goes, hey, B, want to be on the, you know, do this podcast? I'm going, yeah, what the fuck? You um, remember when I got right into Buddhism, I was telling you, saying, hey, mm. here's, here's why we should all meditate. Yep. Yeah, and I mixed it up and I started medicating and wondered why it all went wrong. Well, you can do both. You can medicate and meditate. That's all right. Mm. Yeah, true. Some people like yoga and meditation. I like yogurt and medication, whatever. But, 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 you know, the thing is, it, it's, again, that same sort of when you start to think for yourself, when you start to voice opposition to, you know, within Pentecostalism, right, not just the faith movement, but the faith movement's a prime example. When you start to voice opposition, you start to lose people. You start to lose friends. People ostracize you. People isolate you. People will even say, you know, bad stuff about you. It, it's crazy. Yeah, but you know what I reckon that is? Um, I, I reckon part of that is it's it's very confronting when you start to provide a rationale of an alternate reality, um, and you've got something that says if you don't believe hard enough, it's all about you why you don't get what you want. Then you've got to get rid of that. You've got to get rid of that negativity in your life, and you'll be seen as negative because you're affecting their their opportunity. So I reckon they've got to cut you, and that's that's the reason. Like I think that's a rationale behind it. Yeah, well, you're challenging their worldview, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, as you and I know, if your worldview crumbles, it's painful. And I think maybe intuitively we know, well, this is actually threatening the very foundations of my worldview and, you know, better back off, brother. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't, both of us haven't really been involved in the space for for quite a while, but I, I wonder if this hyperface movement is still something that's quite present, so, something oh, very that's much quite so. influential. Yeah, oh, very it? much so. Oh, yeah, man. I, I see stuff on, on social media from time to time. So you've still got, you know, Kenneth Copeland still running around. You know, we saw him with the COVID thing or heard him with the COVID thing a moment ago. Um, mm. You've got Joyce Meyer. Um, Joel Osteen, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. Oh, He's another, okay. and the one that I love, the best name for a faith preacher is Creflo Dollar. That was it, it, that was the one I was just going to bring up. Have you seen Creflo? I think it's like Creflo G Dollar, something like that. Yeah, brilliant name, brilliant name, and and he should be a doctor as well. He should be Doctor Doctor Dollar. Pretty sure he is. 
yeah, that's right. He got his um, PhD from Kenneth Hagen's college at the, <laughs> at the bottom of the Lucky Charms box. <laughs> You've got to love it. it. It's Look, it is a frightening space, and these people are so influential. That's what frightens me, and there's a lot of people that really hang their hats on on that. So it's, it's a scary space, and, you know, for, for listeners who are out there, reach out, start talking amongst yourselves in the Facebook group. If this is something that you've got a little bit of baggage from, um, if you've got uh, things that you need to bring up and talk, put them in there. Get some support from each other. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. It, it'd be a good conversation to um, to sort of prompt. But look, at, at the end of the day, you know, you're not alone. You, you know that anyway. We think it's shit. We worked out it was shit. Like many things, I, I, I sort of just sat back and I just went, this doesn't feel right. I'm a very... Um, I rely upon my gut a lot and uh, intuition is something that I've relied upon a lot of my life. And there was, I don't know, there was something, this didn't, I didn't get anchored in this. I didn't, this wasn't something that really hooked me in. I gave it a crack and I reckon it was maybe six to 12 months of my journey that I thought I'll I'll try this. And I remember coming out the other side of it going, that was just ridiculous. That was just stupid. And I had a, you know, a, quite an objective view on it coming out the other side. But I think what helped me was seeing some people that were in my life being so incredibly uh, involved in it and putting everything into it, like that person I spoke to before and it getting nowhere. And I thought, this is just destructive. It's it's not really part of what what really attracted me to the space in the in the first place of that love that grace that acceptance that community it, it it just didn't seem to marry up yeah well like i said for me it was those books you know people introduced me you know me i can be very sort of cerebral and so i you know i, I had those books introduced to me i read them um but i think pr- the reason i was primed for for accepting the books was the fact that i i knew it wasn't working and yep. and most of the people that were right into it um were just odd you know mm-hmm. like there was just a denial of reality it wasn't just about the faith stuff. It was, you know, so much. There was just a denial of reality. It teaches you to deny. And and I think it's important to note that where we're coming from now is it's not about being anti-beliefs. If people want to believe stuff, you know, they want to believe, you know, John Paul, George and Ringo were in the Rolling Stones. I don't care. Believe what you want. But when mm. it's destructive to people, when it's destructive to people's mental health, when it's destructive to their well-being, when it's putting people in financial dire straits, and then the preachers own, you know, 747 planes. Kenneth Copeland has an airport named after him where he lands his own 747s. You know, as you said, John Abanzini took all those offerings. Then it's shit, and we need to just call it out. The emperor has no fucking clothes, and this is bad for people. Yeah, I completely agree. It's... Uh... it's frightening that it still exists it's frightening that people haven't really cut it down and culled it but i guess that's uh people just want to keep on believing people just want something to be real don't they oh that's exactly right well look mate on that positive note we have come to the end of our time Mm. and so um i think we should we should wrap it there um next week we're going to look at evangelism we're going to talk about winning souls and bringing people to the lord brother i think it's going to be an interesting one yeah, no, no, and I think we've both got, um, like, like many of many things here, we've got different journeys, but also a convergence of some of those bits and pieces as well, which I think um, will resonate with people. So really looking forward to having a chat about that. And yeah, until cool. then.
we'll see you next week. See you next week, people. Bye-bye. See ya.